in our second week uh, of our series called Decisions, Decisions. And if you're listening online, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're here, we're glad you're here. And um, what we did last year, and if, for those who listened online who couldn't see it, we built a birdhouse on stage, and uh, we had power tools and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I came out with all my appendages, which is good. Um, but what we were talking about last week is the intro of what was going on, is this idea that uh, as I was building this birdhouse, which is actually actually just very simple. Uh, it was a box, essentially, with a hole in it where the birds go. Um, and uh, it didn't, like, have a doorbell or anything, which would have been cool. Um, but uh, the, to the extent that that thing was straight <laughs> was the extent to which I submitted myself to the laws of building. In other words, I assumed that that ruler was accurate. And so when I measured, it had to be right. And I assumed that when I drew a right angle, that the, the, um, that the square that I was using was a right angle. Now, as I, the more I submitted myself and allowed myself to really take some time, the better off that birdhouse was going to be. But since... I rushed it because it was a sermon after all and I had to get done. Um, if you were to look at that birdhouse closely, actually not that closely, uh, you could see all the different places I messed up where the cuts weren't as good and uh, when I uh, na- used the nail gun and it was kind of crooked. And so I, I would look back. That's why I gave the birdhouse away is because I never wanted to see it again. Uh, and, and so if you were to look at it, you could point out all the different things. And our point was that you are building something, not a birdhouse. You're building a life whether you like it or not. And to the extent your life turns out well is the extent that you've submitted yourself to certain principles of how to do life. And what we were trying to explain was that the fear of the Lord, the understanding, that the, the, the submission to God's principles and God's rules builds a better life than if we were not to do that. Otherwise, it just comes out looking haphazard. And just like I gave that thing away and didn't want to see it again, oftentimes in our lives, there are certain portions of our life that we don't want to see again. Because we've made decisions, either we rushed into something or we did something or we, or we didn't submit to some of the principles that are in the Bible or what have you. And so we have regret. And we all have these areas in our life, certain things that where we end up getting uh, regrets. And sometimes for some of us, um, these are whole chapters of our lives. We, you might look back at your 20s and just be like, I don't ever want to see that portion of my life again everything's crooked. It's like, I just want to, I want to start over. For some of you, it's your teens. For some of us, for some of you, it's just little, little different areas in each one that that have messed up. Now, here's the thing that's amazing to me, and and you'd agree with me. Isn't it weird how we can look back at those things, and, and we say, what was I, right, but why is it that we can look back and go, those were really foolish decisions? Like, like, like what is it about us that we can, we can look back and we think, what was I thinking? How could I have been so foolish? You know what else is interesting about those different areas in our lives where we make bad decisions? Is those closest to us in our, kind of the circle of influence that we're in probably saw it before we did. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever kind of, I'll just talk to guys, you know, a, a bunch of dudes are together, you know, friends and stuff, and then one guy shows up with a, with a new girlfriend, 
And isn't it true that, like, you guys all look and you're like, oh, man, this is going to end in disaster. Like your buddy, you know, you show up and you're just like, hey, you know, and, and all your friends look and you're just as happy as a clam because she's so pretty. Like, there she is. And all your friends are like, dude, this is not going to end well. And here's what your friends are saying behind your back. Some, one of us should tell him. Here's what they say collectively. He's not going to listen. He's not going to listen because you're too wrapped up in emotion. Ladies, isn't it the same thing? Got a bunch of girlfriends together, and, uh, and, and one girlfriend says, oh, you got to meet this guy. And like, there's some creepy vibe about him, and he shows up. And all your friends are just have just like, they're, they're creep dar, like, and you're just like, he bathes. Isn't he awesome? You know, I, I found a man, okay? And all your girlfriends are just like, oh, that guy is, oh, he's so... Like they can see it, and you can't see it. And then you start in, and maybe some of your girl, because girlfriends are better than this than guys. Guys are just like, dude, if he wants to be stupid, let him be stupid. I don't care. Girls are like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, they call up, they text, you know. And so, you know, emoji, 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 emoji. <laughs> telling them, you know, bad news, you know. Anyway, anyway so, uh, so they, they do all these things. And so why is it that you get done with that relationship, and you look back, and you go, Wow, that was terrible. And you didn't, you didn't see it. All your friends saw it. You didn't see it. Why, why is that? Here, here's why. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Anytime we have decisions that are clouded in emotion, it's very difficult for us to make a wise decision. And let's face it. Aren't all of our biggest decisions the ones clouded in the most emotion? Like all of a sudden, you know, you're with him, with her, and, you know, things are going, and you're just like, I, I'm just, we're just, oh, man, you're all excited, or, or you're going you're gonna to enter into a business. It's going to be this great business, and you're so excited about the potential, and it's going to change. We're going to, you know, you're trying to figure out, should I buy, which Gulfstream should I buy? You're trying to figure out, you know, how is it, which car, all this, what am I going to do with all the money? That's the biggest problem. There's just going to be too much money, right? And, and everyone around you is like, I don't think that's a good idea. You shouldn't go into business with them. You shouldn't get into that relationship. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. That's a bad investment. Yeah, zero down, zero percent financing. It's like they're zeros, okay? And, 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 and you're like, zero? What could be wrong with zeros? And you, know, and you sign away, and then all of a sudden you look back because it was crowd, crowd emotion. Now, what if there was a question you could ask yourself in the midst of all that emotion that, that could help lift the fog a little bit? Maybe not completely, because we're emotive beings. And so, but what if there was something where you could, in the midst of all of it, you could just, I, I, I call it just allow room for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, God himself to just speak into it. Is there some way we can allow him into this emotive cloud that we carry around so that maybe... We can make wise decisions. Because here's the thing I know about God. He loves you. He loves me. And he doesn't want us to make bad decisions. Okay? And so um, what we're going to look at this morning uh, is a, a couple of verses. One, one real quickly is about just our heart and why the Bible talks about the idea of just be careful about these emotional decisions. 
it might be a good idea prior to the emotions to set up some boundaries for yourself. We'll talk about this in um, the next couple weeks. Uh, setting up boundaries for yourself prior to there being emotion into the situation. Financial boundaries, sexual boundaries, different kinds of time boundaries and things. It, you set up the boundaries prior to the emotion hitting. When I first became a pastor, um, I had been working in business for a long time, and Lisa and I knew that at some point we are going to go into full-time ministry, but you don't really, like, announce that every time you're talking to somebody at work um, or a client. You're not like, you know, hi, this is John. I'm going into full-time ministry someday. You know, can I help you? Uh, and, and so when the time came and uh, we were uh, working through the process of um, this particular marriage, uh, um, I would tell people on the phone, hey, you know, you're going to have to start, I won't be around for, uh, in a couple months, you know. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And I'd say, I'm become a pastor, you know. And, and usually that was followed by a long uh, time of silence because who really knows how to, you know. Typically, honestly, the first thing they'd say usually was, oh, I'm going to start going to church. Like they were immediately felt guilty. <laughs> And I'm like, I okay, good luck. I mean, what do I care, right? So, um, I mean, now I really care, but back then I was new. Uh, and so, so uh, the, but, 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 but the second thing they would say after they confessed all their sins to me was, uh, they said, well, it's good. Uh, at least you're following your heart. And I thought about that. And I'm like, if I followed my heart, I'd be a professional motocross, you know, rider or something. I mean, that's like following your heart, you know. It's like, uh, but, but not, you don't be, listen, let me just tell you this. You don't become a pastor when you're following your heart is all I'm saying, right? Here's the thing. The Bible tells you specifically, don't follow your heart. Here's what it says in Jeremiah. And this is kind of where we get to when we look back and we say, what was, what was I thinking? This is the answer to that. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. In other words, when you get the emotions in there, when you get into a situation where you're just like, oh boy, if I don't make this decision now, it's going to go away forever. That's your heart talking. And it's deceitful. Exceedingly so. And it's beyond cure. And then here's the question the Bible has for you. Who can understand it, right? I mean, again, you're with your girlfriends. You're looking at your other girlfriend. You can't understand it. You're with your guy friends, and you're looking at your friend and going, dude, don't, are you, what has happened to you? That's that. Who can, who can, who gets this? Now, if this is the case, what, what do we do? How do we get past this idea? If our heart is exceedingly wicked or deceitful above all things in this particular version, how do we get past it? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to get us into one question. Andy Stanley wrote a book called The Best Question Ever, and this is the best question ever. It, was, it is this question. And, and you can, if you want to read more about it, you can read it. It's basically based on this a particular section of scripture. But what's happened, just so I can set it up for you, the Apostle Paul is talking to a church in Ephesus, and this church was surrounded by a jacked-up culture. Right in the center of town was a temple. They worshipped a goddess, and that temple had um, uh, temple prostitution. Part of the worship service, part of your worship, was to engage in temple prostitution. It's in Ephesus. It's not here, okay? You can't, all right? So just be, some of you guys are like, hmm, I don't know. I get, you know, okay? We don't do that. They're bad. 
Shame on you. Okay. So, so that was part of it. But that was just their culture. They didn't even really think much of it. That was kind of the thing you did. You guys came in at just the right time. I started talking about temple prostitution. Uh, congratulations. Uh, so, so, I mean, that's the thing. Is that That's what they did. Now, now, here's the thing that Paul knows, that I know, that you know. Every culture, whether good or bad or what have you, is going to give press on you to, to, to conform you into a certain mold. Now, again, you can go to any culture in the world. The culture by its, I'm not saying good or bad or whatever. I'm just saying culture, the, 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 what happens, the pressures of culture will conform. The Bible says it will, it will conform you. And so it has a certain shape. Every culture you're in has a certain shape. Let me give you an example. When you go to work, your work, there's a certain corporate culture of your work. And, and, and you can feel that. And some of you hate it. Some of you love it. Whatever. That corporate culture will force you into a mold. Well, the same thing happens aggregately. And Paul understood that. And what Paul's trying to tell this church is, hey, guys, if you don't, if you're not paying attention, if you just go through life, if you just go with the flow, you're going to end up being conformed to this image and you're going to have regrets. At the same time, the kingdom of God is at work trying to transform you, trying to free you up, trying to have you live with joy and peace. And, and so, so the kingdom of God, those forces of the kingdom are trying to transform you. So, so you're, you're either being conformed into this image or you're being transformed literally into like the image of Christ who is like in control and had peace and joy. Hebrews says he was anointed with the oil of joy. And so, so there's these two competing things. And so Paul is talking to this church that's got this culture that's very strong. And he starts going through and saying, you guys, you can't, you got to watch out. And so he lists a bunch of do's and don'ts, which is what if you're, you'd expect that from the Bible, right? I mean, if it gets accused of certain things, uh, it gets accused of these just kind of lists of do's and don'ts. And, he, and so he, he, he gives some of them. And, and again, if, if your culture is to worship, you have temple prostitutes, the first one is probably a key one. There's uh, not even a hint of sexual immorality. That was kind of his one thing. Like for you guys in Ephesus, man, this is essentially true more than anywhere else. Any kind of impurity, greed. He says these are not improper for God's holy people. And then he goes on. No obscenity. No obscenity at all for you guys. You're not going to be, if you just lift up your feet and allow, go with the flow, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself engaging in obscenity. Foolish talk, coarse joking. He says those are out of place. Those aren't, they don't, they don't match up. Essentially, uh, most of that whole part, that first part of Ephesians 5 is just trying to show this dichotomy between being conformed into, the, uh, into this culture or, or being transformed. It's not quite the words he uses in this particular scripture, but this is a common theme with Paul. So he says the kingdom essentially isn't about that. Then he says, like, don't even be around those people. And you think, wow, you know, you mean like just totally disengage? He's like, no. What, what, what he's trying to get across is that if, if, you're, if you're just allowing culture to happen around you and you pick up your feet, you're just going to be conformed and you're going to end up having regret. And so that's where he's at. Now, now, here's the thing that Paul knows about us that 
that we probably know. If it were just a list of do's and don'ts, as good Christians, we would do what good Christians do. Find all the loopholes with all the lists of the do's and don'ts and figure out how close we can get to the edge, right, without going over. So how far can I go? This is a great Christian question. And for those of you who aren't Christians, you're like, I know, I've seen this, I know, we get it, I get it. But it's like, how close to the edge can I go? Like, like how, 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 like, what's the rule? Give me all the rules, okay, and how close to the edge. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees spent uh, their full-time job was trying to close all these loopholes, okay? And so, you know, we give them a hard time, but they were, they were trying, they know that we're, we're going to try to figure out. So what Paul does is Paul closes all of them with this next two verses. And he, he, he gives us a different standard than just do's and don'ts. He, he, he paints a different picture, and this is where we get our question from that we can ask ourselves as we get into every decision we make. We can ask ourselves the question that comes out of this verse. Ephesians 5.15, he says this. He says, be very careful then how you live. If you have the New American Standard Version or your iPad is open to the New American Standard Version, uh, it will say, be very careful then how you walk. So I took a picture this morning of our patio, what we're working on uh, here. Okay, now when, hopefully when you came in, there was somebody telling you, be very careful how you walk. Because if you look down here, those are all boards and you can trip and you can um, get tetanus and rabies and everything else that happens around in those things. We wouldn't tell you, oh yeah, the kids, we wouldn't tell the little kids, yeah, your class is over there, just go get them and have them run across all that. There's probably an Indian burial ground in there. I don't know what's in there. Uh, And and so we wouldn't just tell them, we'd say, hey, be very careful. As a matter of fact, I couldn't find be very careful tape. It's called caution tape. And all you can say is caution. But this this particular Greek word that Paul uses, this be very careful then, is look around with exactness. Like, Like look all around. Look up, look down, look around. Stuff could be, essentially stuff could be flying in from all over. Paul says because culture... Especially the culture that Paul was in at this time in Ephesus, and it applies to us today. Because stuff could really come out of nowhere, just be very careful. Look out. Watch, watch where you're walking. Watch, watch your, your blind side. We would say it this way. Watch your back, you know. We'd say that. Be very careful, uh, then, how you live. Not as unwise. And then Paul gives this new standard that's not following a bunch of rules. It's a new standard, not, not trying to be better than the next person. He doesn't even say, not as unwise, but, but godly, or uh, be religious, or you know, fig, fig, figure this out. He comes up with a new standard, and here it is. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, for Paul's Hebrew mind, uh, the idea of wisdom was not just amassing knowledge. Wisdom always had to do with, per, with doing. And so, the behavior. Paul's idea of, of wisdom was behavior. Don't be unwise, but behave wisely. In everything, in your finances, in your relationships. 
in how you conduct business. Be wise. Don't look for loopholes. Don't ask, how far can I get right up to the thing before I, I, I go over the edge? We'll talk about this in a couple of years and creating healthy boundaries in our lives. And, and, and it'll be fun. Bring all the kids. It's on sex and you'll love it. It's just really great. Um, and they know about it already. So don't worry about that. It's going to be in uh, church. Here's the question. What is the wise thing to do? That's the new standard. As you're sitting in the emotional cloud of decision making, Paul would say, do what's wise. Now, we think to ourselves, well, what, what good is that? <laughs> like, do what's wise. Like, like, if I knew what was wise, I'd do it. Really? Like, that's all, that's all it takes is just knowing what's wise? Because your friends who've watched you make mistake after mistake would say even though you knew what was wise, you didn't do it. You never really, really wrestled with this question. And what Paul would say is be very careful then how you live. The decisions you make, every single decision, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. What is the wise thing to do? Now, this question is very hard to ask when you're in the midst of emotional decisions. Because the question really is, how far can I go? This takes that all off the table. You don't ask, like, well, really, what, what, what is everyone else doing? That question goes out. See, see how the loopholes begin to get closed up? You're like, well, um, okay, well, how much money do I have left in my bank account? You know, now, what's the wise thing to do? Now, watch what happens. He goes on and he says, making the most of every opportunity. Now, see how, the, see how everything has changed now? It's not just trying to stay out of trouble. It's not just, um, what can I get away with? It's not just, where's the loophole? It's not just, you know, okay, uh, if I move this over here and I do this over here, it'll probably be okay. It's not just rolling the dice and hoping it all works out. It means that every decision you make, every, every decision you run into, every um, invitation you get, uh, every financial decision uh, has a most to it. Paul's saying, don't, don't think about what you can get away with. Think of how can I make the most out of this? Totally different. Imagine if your next dating relationship started with, okay, how can I make the most out of this for the kingdom of God? I'd probably stop like 75% of your dates. <laughs> like you're like, there's no most in here. Okay, well, you just answered your own question. Your financial decisions. You're online, you're on Amazon, stuff's flying, oh, this is awesome. You get ready to make a purchase. How can I make the most out of this for the kingdom? Um, probably by closing the browser. <laughs> like imagine if like, all your decisions were, what's the wise thing to do? Now, we think to ourselves, well, how do I know the most? And Because the days are evil. There, there is a, a pressure to conform. There's a pressure to be like everyone else. It's that cultural pressure. And again, some cultures, the pressure's not that bad. And even what you're conformed to isn't that bad. Other cultures, what you're being conformed to is horrible. 
And you'll spend most of your life with a regret. But there is a pressure. And so because the days are evil, because there are pressures that when we, if we just kind of pick up our feet and we're conformed and we're not transformed, we're going to have all this regret. He says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And then to drive it home, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Now, what the Lord's will is. Now, listen, I talk to people all the time and I've done it myself where we get to a certain situation and we think to ourselves, well, I just don't know the Lord's will. I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I, I just want to know his will for me. Now, Paul's telling you, it seems like he's going, well, just understand what it is and you'll be fine. That's like, how do you do that? If, if we were sitting here and I was talking about biology and I pulled somebody up and I said, can you please on the board explain the difference between meiosis and mitosis, please? And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's, don't raise your hand. I know you probably can do it. But for most of us humans, like normal people, we wouldn't be able to do that. And we feel really stupid and we come up and we're like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And if I just said to them, well, just understand it. Now do it. Like, I don't understand it. No, I'm telling you, understand it. Like you can see how frustrating this verse would be, right? Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Now get out of here, right? It doesn't make any sense. Fortunately, that's not what the word understand means here. It's worse than that. Okay? It's the idea of own it. You already know what it is. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul believes you're smart already. Paul believes, and the Spirit of God believes, that when you get into that situation and you're going to go on that date or get in that car or pull out your credit card, that you have the ability already to go, what's the wise thing to do? And to go, ah, I know. Now, how many, a show of hands, this week, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) We all have felt that inside. We might call it a check in our spirit if we're really Christian, if we're really spiritual. I just felt a check in my spirit, okay? Uh, if, if you're not a Christian and you're like, why do they talk like that? I don't know, but we do. Um, uh, you might say like, um, I don't know, I just, it was just, I just felt this whole, you know, I just, it just felt wrong, okay? You get invited to something and there's just something in you that goes, eh, I I don't know. Now, here's the thing. Someone will ask you, well, what's wrong with it? Well, what's wrong with it? And you won't have an answer. Because oftentimes, there's not anything wrong with it. It's not wrong. It's unwise. And what we'll see in the next couple weeks is that what's wrong is usually preceded by a bunch of different decisions that were not wrong. They were unwise. And all of a sudden, you end up in a spot that's really, really wrong that could have been avoided had you just not done something unwise. This is what Paul is saying. Don't be foolish. Own it. Own it. It's not a good decision. It's an unwise decision. Yeah, but all my friends are going to ask me, you know, they're going to tell me, well, nothing's wrong with that. You can go do this and you can go to that. What do I tell them? It's unwise. It's like, they're going to think I'm crazy. Well, you just encountered the Spirit of God. You just learned something about yourself. You just learned that you kind of get 
pushed to make decisions because you care about what other people are thinking. That's okay. But at least now you know. This is what Paul's saying. Don't be foolish, but just own it. You know it's wrong. You know it's unwise. You know it's not the best thing for you. Just own it. Don't try to find a loophole. Okay, so now, now you've learned something about yourself. You, you kind of get pushed in with peer pressure. Great. Now God can deal with that. This is what Paul's saying here. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So here's what I want to do this morning uh, in, in, in the time we have left. Is I want to unpack this a little bit and go back to... Um, the verse in chapter, uh, in, in verse 15, that um, hopefully will help you. Because as you can see, the question is not, is it illegal? Or is it unethical? Or how far can I go? Or whatever. The question is, is it wise? And so we say, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This is Paul's thing. And so to get out of the cloud of emotion, we ask ourselves, as as many decisions as we can, what's the wise thing to do? And then we allow the Spirit of God to speak to us, and then we have to deal with that understanding what the Lord's will is. Now this comes, what's wise um, uh, changes for each person, doesn't it? See, what's wrong, if I, if I were to say, okay, how many people think having an affair is, is right? Nobody would raise their hand. That, that applies to everybody. But if you look at the decisions you made in your life, how you're created, your weaknesses, your past, your history, the things you've done, there might be something that the Spirit of God is telling you is wrong and someone else is able to go do it willy-nilly because there's not a verse in the Bible that says you can't. And so what do we do? And here's what I want us to do. We'll look at this over the next three weeks. We'll look at it this way. Uh, Considering my history, what's the wise thing to do? So in other words, what what happened the last time you got into that car? See, okay, then we went to that. Ooh, okay. That's your history. What happened the last time you went into a business relationship with a person like that? Well, first I got, oh, okay. Right? What, what happened the last time you did that? Your history. So considering my history, how's been, how, when, I, when I take my money and I invest it my way, how does it turn out? Ooh, maybe I need a professional. You know, when I chose my own friends, when I, when I did that, how, how did it work out? And considering my history, what's the wise thing to do now? Okay, second thing. Considering my current reality. So, so in other words, there might be things that were okay for you in your history that are not okay in your current reality. In other words, in your history, you might not have had a problem with a certain thing. And so to engage in it or to be a part of it was fine. It didn't even bother you, nothing. But something happened along the way and now in your current reality, you can't handle it anymore. Or, or maybe you've learned something about yourself and you just think, you know, I just don't feel comfortable with that anymore. I was, I was fine. I don't know why I was fine with it then. I didn't even think about it. I just did it. All of a sudden now my current reality, and this could span where anything. You know, when I was in college, 
uh, my college roommate Don and I, we would just leave and go camping. Oh, we'd be gone for four days. We didn't tell anybody we were going. I mean, we were at college. My parents, quite frankly, didn't want to know where I was, you know. Uh, and, and so I didn't, we didn't tell anybody. We, didn't, we said, hey, dude, let's go camping. Okay, you know, awesome. And we come back four days later, and most of the time, nobody even knew we were gone. But some, maybe someone might say, you know, you need a shower or whatever. They knew it was something. Right, okay. So that was my history. Now, my current reality, imagine what would happen if I just took off for four days and didn't tell anyone where I was going. Right? Yeah, you've met Lisa. You know what happened to me. I'd be in a lot of trouble. Right? Imagine, you know, I, I got three kids and a wife now. There's a lot of things I can't do now that I could do then, even though they weren't wrong then. It's just my current reality changes things. There are things I could do with my buddies back then I can't do now. Okay? There are things I could do financially I can't do now because I'm in a different reality. Considering my history and considering my current reality, what's the wise thing to do? Now, here's, here's the next one that I, I think is just the, the key for us as we, look, as we move forward. Considering my future identity. You know what's interesting? I'll, I'll bet I know this about you because I, 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 I just see it true with everyone. When you think about you in the future, okay, when you, when you think about... You know, in five or ten years, you, when you think about that, you're better than you are now. <laughs> you, we hardly ever think of a fat us in the future. <laughs> right? We don't, we don't think, when I retire, I'm going to be twice the size I am now. <laughs> we just don't do that. We don't think, when I retire, I'm going to have half as much money. Like, I'm going to be dirt poor. I'm going to be honest. I'm gonna, you know, when I retire, I'm going to live in a bush. Right? We don't. We picture retirement. We're thin. We have tons of energy. We look better. Like, I don't even know how, but that's what's going to happen. It's, future, it's our future identity. Now, now, here's the thing. We joke about that, but there are lots of things in our future us that actually can be better. There can be habits that we, use, that we have now that as we get into this idea of transformation and the kingdom of God, we can be set free. Right? There are relationships that are bad now, that, that our future identity as we work through our own issues and as we, as we work and as we allow the Spirit of God to humble us and to work through us, that actually we could, we could, we could have a better marriage in the future. We can be healthier in the future. We can handle our emotions better in the future as the Spirit of God transforms us. Now listen, how tragic would it be? How tragic to make decisions now for stuff we know isn't going to last and it affects future us. And so we miss out, we're robbed, we rob ourselves of our identity in the future. We rob ourselves of what God could do through us. And so, that's really the question then. Considering my history, my current reality, and my future identity, what's the wise thing to do? Now, you can see how this takes a lot of courage to ask. Because this throws out all the little loopholes and all that kind of stuff. This gets you face to face with the living God who knows you who knows your heart, 
who knows how he created you, who knows all of your weaknesses. And in that cloud of emotion, you stand there and you part the clouds and you say, okay, God, I'm going to allow you access into my decision making. In spite of my history, I, I know I, I, I blew that before. I can't manage that. I'm not a good manager of that. I realize, in spite of my, and considering my current reality, God, I'm not in a spot right now emotionally to date anybody. <laughs> I get that. Well, I'm certainly not in an emotional spot to date anybody. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? You <laughs> said, and then, and then God, you know, we both have a vision for what you can transform me to be. I don't want anything to get in the way of that. It takes a lot of courage to ask that question because it throws everything else. It, it, it kind of answers the question of how far is too far of should I do that or sh- should I do that. Now here's what's going to happen as you ask yourself this question. You're going to start learning things about yourself. Like, like, like for those of you here who might be here and you're just like, I don't even like the Bible. I don't know the Jesus thing or whatever. I'm not asking myself that, that stupid question. Whatever, you know, I, I shouldn't even be here. You just learn something about yourself. That you might not even have your best interests in mind. See, if I won't ask myself that question, I don't have my best interests in mind. I, I'm missing something. Now, if there is a God and he does love me, there's a really, really good chance that he does have my best interests in mind. And by asking that question, what I'm allowing the Spirit of God to do is to speak to me and to change me. As uh, Adra comes back up, we're going to take uh, communion. I, I wrote this down because um, I, I, I knew I wouldn't be able to say it the way I wanted to say it. Chances are, as we, we wrestle with that question, the Spirit of Almighty God will be wrestling with us as well. What this question does, it, it invites God into the decision-making process, and by doing that, we will encounter some uncomfortable things about ourselves. And so I might, it might go down like this. Lord, I'm about to make this purchase. What's the wise thing to do? And it, we hear, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You think, I really want that thing. I, I mean, it, I just, I think I deserve it, okay? Like, you know, I've been really, but you already know, and so now you're looking for loopholes, and now God says, okay, what is it about that you need? What, what, what appetite are you trying to satisfy? Or, or there's a relationship, and you're thinking, and this relationship isn't going to last. I, I'm just, I'm just going to ride it out for as long as I can. I just, I just, I get, what's the wise thing for me to do? And the Lord says, understand, you know what the wise thing to do is. And you think, I don't want to be alone. There you go. Now, now you're getting somewhere with the Spirit of God. And the guy will say, well, he can begin to process those things. Why, do you, why are you afraid of being alone? Didn't I say I'd never leave you or forsake you? Did, I mean, what, what's going on? Now, now, think about future you again. Imagine there's a you that asks yourself that question for all your decisions. 
what kind of you would it be? 